1: Monica Matthews. Matthew show. Show. Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show. Life, love, and liberty doing something extra special today because I have an extra special guest on with me who has been in my spaces in the past on Twitter. We are live streaming on YouTube and Twitter, and we are also in spaces at the same time. On Twitter, for those of you who are not familiar, it is basically like the new era of talk radio. It is awesome. And it's also not so awesome some days. It just depends on who comes up to take a microphone. So it is the land of the free, and it could actually become freer, I guess, if uh, Elon decides to, if they will actually accept his offer in his acquisition of Twitter. We shall see. But today, during this first segment, we are going to discuss Russia and Ukraine. Uh, This is something clearly affecting uh, the world right? Uh, not the least of which is uh, our Americans. Uh, so Biden just yesterday on a call to Zelensky committed $800 million to our war efforts. That's what I meant. Uh, we have Russian sanctions galore. We are completely engaged on every level of this war as a NATO nation. And yet the American people are being gaslit on every level, in my humble opinion. Their politicians have failed them and with the exception of a few, have all but championed the cause for World War III with Russia and China. The media has administered the most egregious form of psychological warfare on the American psyche in my lifetime, short of George Bush's weapons of mass destruction hunt, which left us with a 20-year war, abandoned allies and servicemen and women to die at the hands of the now-legitimized band of terrorists, otherwise known as the Taliban. I can almost read the headlines of a future shiny uniparty campaign mailer that reads something to the effect of Alexander Vindman, lead liar in the effort to take down the 45th president of the United States while covering the dumpster of bodies of the international Biden crime family by use of a tried and true color revolution tactic, is actually the cousin and operative of Vladimir Zelensky, the president of the former U.S. NGO in WO-occupied country of Ukraine. With me today to enlighten us with a bit of a different perspective on the current Ukraine-Russia war a senior writer and associate editor at Chronicles Magazine, also referred to as the smartest journalist in America by Tucker Carlson, Pedro Gonzalez. Pedro, thank you for being with me, sir. I appreciate you. Welcome back.
2: Thank you so much for that very kind introduction Tucker <laughs> Tucker really set me up uh to fall there by by putting that on my shoulders but it was a really really nice uh thing of him to say
1: yeah, so, it's all uh, it's true i mean i anyone who follows you and reads and reads your work, you are one of the most um even though I agree with you on just about everything uh geopolitically. Uh, you're a man of faith, uh, you know, you as a father, right? We're here to protect our children, uh, but you're a very deliberative person. And and that is something that I hold in high esteem. Uh, I know my good friend with Epoch as well, uh, Brie Dahl, uh, you know, writes with the same level of um, – of professionalism and integrity that i think we've lost in journalism so thank you for that and i would i would agree with tucker i do i believe that you are one of the smartest journalists in america so listen where do we begin i guess i could start by asking you you know what's really going on i i see this as a hearts and mind campaign which is a strategy that the u.s has used in nations uh over the years in the form of color other color revolutions Uh, Not many people are talking about this, particularly people of your level of journalism and integrity. Um, You know, I want to talk about what's really happening with this whole gaslighting effect on the American people with regard to the narrative of Ukraine, Russia.
2: Yeah, I think that question is so difficult to answer that it's easier to say. Basically, when we ask the question of, you know, whose war is this? it's actually much easier to, to say who's it's not. And uh, personifying de- democracy here, it's not democracy's war. I think that's that it's 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 fair to say that because we're being told that this is a battle for democracy. It's a struggle for democracy uh, on the one hand. And on the other hand, occasionally you'll hear that it's also a battle for nationalism. Therefore, if you're on the right, if you're a conservative, if you're an American, you have to support it because, well, don't you love nationalism? Don't you love democracy? But we can rule those things. He's looking at even the the pre-war actions of uh, Zelensky's government, which, to be fair, to be fair to it, uh, it is just as it has been just as corrupt as all of the 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 administrations that came before it. So in that sense, it's not unusual. But it is unusual that we've memory hold all of that stuff. Now suddenly, you know, we're being sold this lie that Ukraine is a democracy, that Zelensky has always been this very effective, competent uh, leader who is just above corruption. This is not true. Uh, last year, uh, Zelensky forcibly shut down three television networks uh, that he he said were uh, spreading Russian misinformation in Ukraine. And he had the leader of the second biggest opposition party in Ukraine uh, arrested and placed on house arrest. It, that, that doesn't sound very sounds, democratic. Yeah, I was right? going to say, it sounds pretty uh, democratic. Yeah. Right. It's,
1: like it's like a, a day, day on Twitter.
2: Twitter. Right. And I mean, look, he, he if he uh, if he feels like that stuff is uh, what he needs to do uh, for the Ukrainian national interest, fine. But don't tell me that it's a democracy. And I mean, is as late as last spring, this publication called New Europe, which bills itself as the leading eu affairs magazine they do interviews with all these people in brussels and stuff it's, it's based in brussels uh read a, an article and the headline was along the lines of like Zelensky's government is becoming more authoritarian and more corrupt and in the article Zelensky, although he campaigned as an anti-corruption president it just turned out to be just as corrupt as his predecessors uh that he's kind of abusing his power and stuff i mean this is last spring right but that again, that has been totally memory hole. Uh, it's right. just been sold this lie. Uh, and on the other hand, it, this this argument that it's it's a war for nationalism. There are certainly nationalists in Ukraine, and they have my sympathies because you know I, sure. there, there's there's a lot to be said about people who are willing to die for people in place for their for their homeland. That's right. But that's real. It exists there, but as has often been the case throughout history, I think that this, the, the actual national Correct. by people who are fundamentally, uh, who have fundamentally anti-nationalist ends. Correct. And so what what do I mean by that? Well, on the one hand, uh, Poland and Hungary have been until now, these kind of black sheeps in Europe to the liberal nationalists, to the writers to the of the Atlantic and stuff like that, you know, Poland and Hungary are, are, they're not real democracies, they're authoritarian, they're illiberal, uh, they're, they're, they're bad, they're dangerous. Well, Poland uh, has been praised by all the same people that were, were condemning it because it has taken a really aggressive line uh, toward Russia recently. Hungary, who you think would be praised for basically trying to st- just be neutral and kind right. of stay out of this, you right. know, putting the interests of Hungarians first, has been demonized even more for being neutral. Right. Not even for like taking a side, but just saying like, look, we, we want nothing. We just want to stay out of this. Sure. But that has that has, you know, heaped more scorn on them. Um, but regardless of the fact that both Poland and Hungary have taken in tons of Ukrainian refugees, I think Hungary has actually taken in the refugees uh, per capita in Europe. They recently got sanctioned by the, uh, the European Parliament voted to agree with the European Court of Justice decision to dismiss these legal challenges by Poland and Hungary that were basically asserting their national sovereignty and the supremacy of their constitutions over EU law right the EU said no nope, your constitutions are subordinate to uh, to EU law yeah and of course the criticism is you know they say like liberal values but that's that's the the euphemism they use but really they mean like we don't like that you're you know you're, you're kind of confronting the the problem of ngos in your countries you're trying to set your own immigration uh, laws and your own immigration policies which we don't like uh you know anti-lgbt laws which is just ridiculous like hungary just is protecting families and children right uh and, and all of those things got them sanctioned the, the the eu recommended uh sanctions against them at the same time that they're taking in tons of ukrainian refugees and these are the same people that are telling you that this is you know this is a war for nationalism right when they they Fundamentally, don't respect the national sovereignty of other countries. Right. It's just absurd. Like, I think the, the last point I'll make here, because I'm going on and on. No, you're I good. The this case, is good. The case study is Ann Applebaum, right? Mm-hmm. Ann Applebaum has written incessantly about like Poland and, and the Hungarian right. uh, and Hungary slipping into illiberalism and, and how they're authoritarian countries. Well, Ann Applebaum loves nationalism now in Ukraine. Like she's, She cannot say right. enough nice things about Ukrainian nationalism, but right. at the same time that she's talking about Ukrainian nationalism and democracy, and Applebaum sits on the board of the National Endowment for Democracy we, we could talk about. Right. It's this, this c- basically like a CIA front organization that promotes democracy around the world. Uh, at the same time that she's talking about how we need to fight for nationalism and democracy in Ukraine, she is part of this international, this sounds insane, but it's true, part of an international um, foreign electoral influence operation to oust uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary to, to basically get him out of power because they don't like him. Right. And then when he wins, of course, Anne Applebaum is, is horrified. The Associated Press pejoratively refers to, to Orban as a, European, uh, as a nationalist European leader which is the same title that you could use to refer to Zelensky. Correct. So, so that's the bottom line.
1: Well, and that's what's happening here. And, and I see that happening here. So it, and, and I, and I, I heard you in another interview space and I thought to myself that, that to me is what's causing the dissonance for a lot of people. And, and, and why I am, why I'm forever having to rely upon my faith uh, in this, in this war space to just remain, it's not even neutral. It is to, to remain open to the truth of what's really happening by virtue of keeping my eyes open and piecing, uh, pu- pieces of the puzzle together of the past, which I want to touch on in just a minute because you have an opinion as to why China is so interested. Uh, in this fight. And I want to get to that in just a moment. But it feels like the dissonance, you know, kind of the brain rattle that's happening for Americans is it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I talked about it on my show yesterday. If you're a nationalist, you're going to make the DHS's uh, you know, potential national security, uh, threat, right? Uh, a la Trump supporters, white people, Christians. Uh, now if you're not flying a Ukrainian flag, you are a nationalist, but not the kind of nationalist we need you to be. So, right? So it's happening here too. Is this all part of the New World Order. You know, when I say things like this, Pedro, it, it it's like I'm afraid I'm gonna start sounding like Q-ish or Anonish or Alex Jones ish, which he's not been entirely wrong on some of these things over the years, right? But it's like, is this is this part of a larger agenda that our fourth branch of government happens to be uh heralding in my humble opinion. Um, you know, what is this? Is this part of the New World Order agenda?
2: I think that yeah you're right when you when you put it in certain ways it does sound kind of out there but I mean there's no question that this is certainly it's like I said it's not what it's it's not as advertised right Right. the the, the war is not as advertised surprisingly I'm just being obviously sarcastic uh, and it does seem to be part of this grander thing that's going on and and that's what I mean about how Ukrainian nationalism is being used for these anti-nationalist that's right. post-nationalist ends like the same people that were saying that that, I mean, literally, I think Biden actually explicitly used the term New World Order. Um, yes. And, and the same people that it, just a few years ago were talking about the end of the nation state, that we're moving into this era where the future will be these these massive, uh, supernational bureaucratic bodies that are just totally unaccountable. Really, I mean, really just a whole lot of words that we can summarize as oligarchy. Sure. Yeah. We just just definitively call this uh, oligarchy. And uh, by the way, I thought that was really funny when the, the EU court uh, dismissed these legal challenges. The, the court is based in Luxembourg and neither Warsaw nor Budapest can appeal the Luxembourg court if the ruling is final. And in, in the statement from the EU, they, they denounced uh, Poland and Hungary as, as, as housing oligarchic structures. Isn't that it's just... just the, Unbelievable. I mean, you could say that it's hypocritical, but they don't view it as hypocritical. Yeah. They view it as like, no, this is actually the new order of things. Sure. You, you could say, to use, the, to, to use that language, like this is actually how the, the new world works, right? Yeah. Your, your national sovereignty is subordinated to this. So yeah, I think it's it is totally fair to say that this is part of a a much bigger thing. Um, And again, I mean like the New York times just a few years ago was saying the nation state is over. We're canceling the nation state. It's a thing of the past. Like we're moving into this, into this bigger thing, this new thing. Right. Uh, Which again, I mean, Biden referred to it as a new world order. So you can, you can definitely use that term because he did. Sure. So,
1: sure. Well, and it kind of, don't you see it too, as someone who covers exhaustively, the uh, the edu's efforts to really undermine the sovereignty of not only in the autonomy and the authority of not only parents but for our children it's to me i see it they're synonymous I, i see it as you know the eu gobbles up your nation state right you you have no i mean we saw that uh, we, we knew, didn't we know that going into it? I mean, we, they had to have known that. Uh, didn't we know that NATO was probably going to lead to some really interesting decisions over the lifetime of NATO? Uh, you know, because again, man is at the helm of that. And, and, you know, and not to say that everything we create ends up in some oligarchical, uh, you know, bastion of hell, but generally speaking, uh, you know, whenever left to our own humanistic demises or devices, rather, we do end up with our own. Demise, And so I see them as very similar parallels, whether it's on a geopolitical landscape or it's uh, within the construct of the family unit uh, as it pertains to EDU. Again, trying to hijack the authority of parents also uh, had Nicole Solis on with me this week and we talked about the disembodiment campaign uh, of our children which is basically to separate them from their own sexual autonomy and their own created biology. So I see it kind of running parallels within the spirit realm kind of, you know, flushing out here so that you've got that campaign going against your own autonomy and identity as a created human being as well as this, you know, flushing out on the uh, on a nation state landscape geopolitically. And thank you for drawing those parallels, because you've done that quite well uh, across the board with your work, whether you're addressing, you know, kids literally being taken out of their parents, uh, you know, authority and home uh, at the behest of a school system, or you're talking about what's happening geopolitically. So along these lines, you've mentioned, I love this, you've mentioned the straw man of Putinism of you, Tucker, and other pundits. I guess I could throw myself in that as well now. We've become the new Putin sympathizers. Uh, But I believe the unifying point for us as a nation between right and left comes with the intersection of, as you frame it, anti-interventionism. Describe the plight of the anti-interventionist and tell us what the real agenda of the left is whenever it comes to the strategy of marking and criminalizing those of us who believe we should take care of America first.
2: Well, it's, it's not just the left, unfortunately. I was very, very grateful that the Washington Times published my rebuttal to National Review, uh, their editor-in-chief, Rich Lowry. Um, he, he actually denounced what he calls the neo-isolationists in a, in a column recently. And I went after him and, and actually addressed some of these points in that piece in the Washington Times. It was nice enough to publish it both online. So you can go check that out there. Um, so that, I mean, that's a huge part of the problem is that it's not actually just the left. Like the, the mainstream right is very much on board with, you know, the, the war machine. That's not a surprise at all.
1: Right. Well, you've um, credited, you've, you've credited Thomas Massey with, and and yeah. Marjorie Taylor Greene, I believe, uh, yeah. of, of being like the most sober minded and at least relative, relatively cerebral whenever it comes to this World War Three uh, Matt, right he really impressed
2: me yeah he, he really impressed me because he he wasn't just saying we should not escalate our involvement but also the sanctions are are bad and they're going to backfire on normal they're gonna backfire on everyday people and that's not I mean like he, he was very thoughtful in in how he explained his decision to oppose sanctions but also I mean we, we know that sanctions don't work right have sanctions toppled the Iranian regime? Right. Have they toppled the North Korean regime. We, we know that sanctions tend to backfire more often than not. And we, we know that that's already happening in Russia. Like Russians surprise rallied under siege and they're on like the, the pre-existing uh, conflicts between Russian elites. you know you've got these kinds of clans that are fighting over power. That stuff is basically gone now, right Like Russian society in general and Russian elites, have galvanized behind Putin. Why? Because the West told them, "You're all complicit in this. This is yep. all your fault, right. and we're going to starve you, yes. and demonize you, and crush you."
1: Right. That, the that
2: people that right. has like a spirit in them is not going to take that very. You know, they're not going to take that lying down. And that's so. Like again, that's what they're, that's that's not just what Russians have done. That's a, that's what a lot of other countries where we sanction people have done. Sure. And in every case, it, it just it. Backfires. So, right. I mean, Massey was obviously on firm ground when he was opposing the sanctions. And now we're, we're also feeling him as Americans surging costs of food and fuel and driving inflation and stuff like that. Like, this is, I've compared it to kind of like the, the United States pushing, because uh, I think that the United States really, we'll say the West, pushed Ukraine in, in front of a train and then decided to sanction all the passengers on the train. And then all the people walking by, yep. the train station, in order to put the railway company out of business, like that's, that's right. how I've I've kind of described this because it's just so absurd and insane. Uh, but the the plight of anti-interventionists is, is that we're not taking a side. We're, actually, we are. We're taking the American side. We are, right. You know, on a, you know, ironically, this is this is actually America first. Sure. I say ironically because a lot of the people that use that term. Uh, have have now conflated the american interest with the, with the interest of the ukrainians but yes i mean that's the problem is to just say look america has a legitimate interest like every other country and as far as you know the the as far as i can tell our interest is staying out of this and actually it's probably in the interest of ukrainians because yes they want us to intervene but i mean look at the history of nato interventions look at the history of us interventions uh, since like we'll we'll see with the Clinton uh, the Clinton era because really it was the Clinton administration that coined what's called the, the Clinton Doctrine, which is we have a, a we we must intervene based on humanitarian criteria. Right. So you know, based on what's happening in Ukraine right now, yes, Ukraine uh, Ukraine is not a, a NATO. Technically, it's not part of NATO, although it basically is. I mean, right. let's be, be the way that we, we treat it and stuff like that. But it's not. It's a non-aligned state, right? Um. Well there's a humanitarian uh, basis for intervening there because of, of the war and all that and the supposed I mean the, the term that people are using increasingly now is genocide. Right. Uh, but look there there are obviously bad things happening in Ukraine right now. Sure. But if we get involved and the war escalates to the point where we're talking about the use of nukes and things like that. Yeah. Whatever is happening now will be dwarfed by what will happen then. Right. So, I mean, the, and again, but if you say these things, it's seen as being like pro Putin, That's or right. a coward, or like you know you're naive. Yes. It, it's all just absurd, and it ranges, like I said, from like a straw man to just a. Uh, ironically, it is extremely naive to to think that uh, to think that yeah, just just because, I mean, I, I'm obviously patriotic, but sure. I, but I, I I mean it when I say that I, I hate our government right now (laughs) and i I don't trust it to handle an intervention in a way that wouldn't be a disaster because remember this is the same government that just recently wiped out 10 civilians with a single drone strike that's right it it just like it's incredible that how how people seem to just forget about all these things within a matter of months it's like you you want mark milley right called that drone strike a righteous strike before the dust settled And then only like, you know, right after that, we find out that we killed that the United States government was was part of a strike that killed seven children. You want these people leading you into war again? I mean, come on.
1: Right. Well, the same people that you refer to, well, the same people who denied having the correct coordinates to the Chinese embassy. Right. Uh, And you talk about that, that one of the reasons why you believe the Chinese are involved in this is because they have Uh, not forgotten about the bombing of their embassy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, this actually kind of says something about how people outside of of the West look at history. Sure. And so basically the the Clinton administration intervened during the Kosovo War. Uh, It was, again, framed as a humanitarian. Humanitarian. (laughs) Right. Right the the NATO bombing campaign ends up killing uh, people say that 500 is like, probably the minimum I mean, it's difficult to to figure this stuff out. But obviously, there are people that think it's much higher than that. But so NATO bombing campaign kills about 500 civilians, blows up a hospital kills at least four patients in that hospital. Um, There is a a Chinese embassy in Belgrade, it gets hit with five GPS guided uh, uh, missiles, which the Chinese are still sore about because we killed three uh, civilians in that embassy w- when we did that. Right. And because the t- of the type of munition that was used, like, you know, precision guided stuff, the GPS think that, or sorry, the, the Chinese think that it was deliberate. Sure. Um, and they haven't forgotten that. And so when uh, Stoltenberg said that China must, you know, denounce unequivocally denounce Russia and, and basically uphold the, the international rule of law, Right. the chinese issued a statement saying we haven't forgotten who bombed our embassy and we don't need lectures on international law from the violators of international law themselves right and and so i think this is really important because th- i talk about this in my washington times piece what people uh, like we'll say the, the national review warmongers and others on the left when they tell you that you're not allowed to criticize our foreign policy they're actually taking what is I mean, it, it, I, I don't you like to use the word "status" because it gets thrown around a lot. But what they're basically saying is that the arbiter of morality is the government. Right. That that by criticizing U.S. government policy, uh, when I mean, the unspoken assumption here is that everything we do is moral, right? Right. That's why. That's that's why we intervene on humanitarian basis because it's because the government has made a moral sure. decision that we need to help people, right? Right. So, that, right. so therefore, if you criticize the government's policies too much, you're actually committing an immoral act, or or worse, you're siding with the nation's enemies. Sure. But that's insane. Because you're you're literally saying, even if you don't know it, that the government is the arbiter of morality. And yes. yeah, I mean there there's obvious problems with that. Yes, obviously. And, and so but the issue is that because of this long legacy of mistakes, and the people that make these mistakes get promoted upwards. I don't you I really don't think you can stress this point enough. Washington has incinerated uh the United States moral credibility, I think, on the world stage.
1: Absolutely. That's not to
2: say people like the normal average American, like my neighbor who wants nothing to do with this war. Right. Uh, that's not to say he has lost his moral credibility. It's that like right. the US government has has incinerated it. Like it it's it just looks impossibly hypocritical for us right. to tell people, you know, that That you know, don't violate international law. After you know, name the intervention that we've that we've done that has actually made life worse for people. Well, you you're
1: being very gracious, in my humble opinion, calling them mistakes. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it, because I think these are very calculated moves on behalf of, you know, what I now affectionately refer to as our fourth branch of government. Um, and I, you know, I, that cannot be overstated. And, and I think people are the most American people are just, um, you know, trying to get by now. I mean, now they're just trying to afford gas and groceries. Uh, you know, much less be concerned about who's actually leading, uh, you know, the campaign for not only our destruction, uh, you know, to usher us into this whole, I call it homogenization effort of the new world order, as Biden uh, called it. But there seems to be like this psychopathic lust for the call to completely annihilate Russian citizens. The dehumanizing rhetoric reeks of what we heard for four years about deplorables, unforgivable, the irredeemable, the stench of the nation, along with their fearless leader, Trump. So it feels and sounds like the same strategy only against Russians as a whole and the need to annihilate them from the planet. Who is perpetuating this and to what end? You see that. I know you see the connection there between Trump supporters, and it's it's like this undercurrent, and it is strategic on behalf of of the narrative uh, warmongers. I'm not really sure what just happened to... There you are. That was interesting. Peter, are you still yeah. with me? Yeah, see, you mentioned the fourth branch of government, cool. man. <laughs> <laughs> and your transmission goes dead. Okay,
2: or it's my toddler tugging the, uh, the cord to the wire. <laughs> oh,
1: no, yeah, it could be my pomeranian eating my ethernet cord or your two-year-old. But uh, well, yeah, we're gonna go with that instead of the CIA. So, so you've made the connection as well in some of your conversations online um, between this constant dehumanizing effort. Um, yeah. Right? What it. How do we combat that? We already know what it is. We know why they're doing it. And not many people are calling it out. You are. I am. Tucker is. Others are. Few. Uh, because it takes a level of, uh, you know, balls. Let's just put it out there. Sorry. But it does. It takes a level of actual love for humanity. Not only America, right? But humanity at large, which is where, again, my kingdom faith comes in. So how do we, how do we start to pull ourselves back? from that very real strategy to dehumanize. And if it's not vaccines, it's not mask wearers, it's not, you know, Trump supporters, it's the new us of the day versus them.
2: Well, I think, unfortunately, you, you can't reach people like Jennifer Rubin. You can't reach people like <laughs> Michael McFaul, who are the ones that are talking about doing things to civilians or treating civilians in Russia a certain way that is just horrible uh, and I, I really think that they think the same things about the people that they consider deplorables. Yeah. Sometimes they're very open about this, sometimes they're not. But it's it's the kind of another unspoken assumption here that, you know, when they're fantasizing about revenge porn, I mean, it's really weird if you think about it. Americans are fantasizing about revenge porn against a country that hasn't done anything to them. Right. right. Very bizarre, right? I, mean, I would get it if, if, if something had happened to us, but they're basically fantasizing about doing something to Russia over what Russia is doing to Ukraine, right. which doesn't involve us. And in the, I mean, you can tell it's, it's the same rhetoric that they've used about deplorables. Uh, it, it's the same rhetoric they've used about middle Americans, the way that they talk about Russians. Like we need, you know, we need to do something about this, this deplorable problem. Right. We need to do something about the Russian civilian problem because they're all complicit in Putin's war. It's, it's the same. Right. I don't, and I, there's no get. I mean, there's no getting through to them. I think that, I think that uh, oftentimes, I mean, maybe there's someone out there who's like a really good at debating or something, but I, but I think that, yeah, <laughs> I think that what, what you're dealing with is like ideology, basically, right.
3: right? And
2: the problem with ideology is that it's a self-contained thing that cannot be penetrated by facts and logic, to use the the Ben Shapiro term, uh, which I, I think is, I think it's a mistake to think that you can get through to these people by just presenting them with the facts. Sure, you can't. Uh, it, it's it's a self-contained thing that is just kind of shockproof to external information. And I, I agree with James Burnham, who wrote a book called Suicide of the West, where he talks about this. And he, 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 he believes that the only way that you can kind of shake someone uh, awake from ideology, from, from their, this this basically religiously held belief that they right. have, like faith, is is something has to happen to them which is you you have this saying right that um that i think conservatives are just liberals who have been mugged by reality or something like that and that kind of expresses this point that like you know sometimes it takes a gun being shoved in your face literally to realize oh i guess soft on crime policies aren't a good idea right but, it, but in other words, it wasn't an argument. It wasn't, you know, a debate that's right. that made you come to that conclusion. It was something that literally kind of shocked your system. Yeah. And so that's why I don't waste time trying to get through to people like Ruben. I mean, my, I, my goal is to just actually show people like, look, this, you know, the, the same people that when you're, when you're actually winning will tell you, hold on, hold on, we need to reset, right. find the middle ground, right. return to civility. Right. They only say that because they f- they feel or fear that that they're losing something. That's right. You know, and, and a concrete example is like the the uh, the parent movements to push back on school boards, to purge CRT, to purge LGBT ideology out of schools and stuff like that. You hear people like David French saying, "Hold on, let's remember the neutral middle ground and like let's be civil. Let's not forget that we all have something in common." The same guy will, you know, in the next column denounce all of the Trump supporting Christians as yes. like, you know, idolaters or something like that. Just ridiculous. <laughs> right. And it's like and that, so yeah. I think that's actually really important to show people. Don't listen to people like Ruben and French that are asking you to remember, you know, civility, it, because for them, it's it's they're just it, it's kind of an admission that they, they, they feel like their their side is losing something in the moment. Sure. So I think I mean, that's that's. Again, maybe there's some someone out there who's really good at communicating and can can talk with Paul <laughs> and rub into seeing the error of their ways. But I'm not. My, my thing is just showing people, look, this That's is right. they hate you, they hate you, they want to destroy you. Right. Uh, this is the future that they have in mind for you. Yeah. It's time to you know protect yourself.
1: Sure, I agree, right. and I think people are going to have to feel it. You're, you're, and I think people are feeling it, which is why I've encouraged my friends on the right who are grassroots people to keep grassrooting because people and start poaching people from the left because it's not hard because suffering is a great equalizer and suffering at the pump, suffering at the grocery store, suffering in school, suffering in your communities, suffering with your jobs, you know, things that are just common, uh, you know, the hierarchy of needs, right? Whenever those are affected, you will be amazed by how people will start to move back toward, you know, more of a, um, Unifying faith centric approach to life. I think, I hope so. You know, thank you for for being the uh, the light on a hill. I, I have another question. President Trump <laughs> loves to credit himself, right, with being able to um, keep Putin at bay, if you will, all right, and keep him off balance. And just recently, he mentioned the use of nuclear subs to show strength regarding Russia. So at what point, I have a two-part question, at what point does Putin say to the world, That's it. This is ridiculous. You guys are officially at war with us. Whether you want to admit it or not, it is what it is. The U.S. is now at war with us. And, you know, at what point – so there's my first question. The second question is kind of this beating my chest – Uh, bloviating, uh, possibly somewhat cerebral strategy there, but not necessarily statesman like as much as caveman like to say, let's show brute force because that's how I did it with this guy. Would you agree with me that this was that Putin, this was going to happen at some point and in some future date? Uh, regardless of who is in the uh you know pretend Oval Office set on any given day now or the actual Oval Office this was going to be an opportunity that he seized at some point in time mainly because of everything that we're seeing that's in Ukraine that has surrounded his country that has said to him you know what I'm I, nope I, I gotta I gotta protect I gotta protect my country I gotta protect what's mine I, I gotta protect what allegiances I do have uh what power I do have and this is my opportunity to do it. So, is was he was he just going to do that? Is my question. Was pres was President Trump's approach of you know uh, beating his chest uh, was that helpful? Was it effective, or was this going to happen anyway?
2: No, I, I think it actually shows that unfortunately Trump is he either just wants attention because uh, I think getting kicked off of Twitter probably got to him more than he thought it would, or. <laughs> he has, just, he's just kind of assimilating more than people realize into the, the GOP's consensus on foreign policy. Right. Because, you know, he's, he. how do I get back in the limelight? Well, I'm going to listen to Lindsey Graham. Oh, Sean Hannity. God forbid. Like, I, I really think because, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else explains it apart from like the obvious answer, which might just be that he wants to say something bombastic that gets him in the news, whatever. But no, it's, it's not the right approach. Remember that, Trump initially wanted to normalize relations with Russia, right? And and that was something that a lot of people were like, yeah, why why? I'm sorry, why do we hate Russia? Right. Uh, We we hated the Soviet communist regime, sure. But why do we hate Russians? Especially when you when you put it in this this broader geopolitical context of do we want to push Russia further into the orbit of China, or do we want to normalize relations with Russia? I'm not talking about, you know, getting ready to, like, go to war with China. That's why we need Russia. I'm just saying, like, this is someone who should be our partner more than it is China's partner. That's right. Why why not? And, of course, you know, that changed because because this this monster, this leviathan turned on Trump. And, and, I mean, that tells you a lot, actually, about how powerful the consensus is in Washington and the establishments that's, you know, Trump wanting to normalize relations and, and avoid a kind of crisis like this, actually, at some point in the future, without having to resort to things like nuclear submarines, right. actual diplomacy, that was anathema for the establishment. That's right. Which, I mean, that that should raise a lot of red flags for you, right? Like, again, I'm right. sorry, why, why do I, living in Ohio, you know, hate Russians? Right. Who, uh, you know, who have no, like, It just I mean, again, you you ask the question, it's like, well, you're a Putin stooge. No. And and to get to the other part of your question, I mean, this is like the unspoken story of of this whole war that you can't talk about anymore. Uh, But thankfully, there are people like John Mearsheimer who are still talking about it that are saying, look, the West made this crisis inevitable. Um, and again, like this is a really, apparently now it's a really controversial thing to say because, you know, you're not allowed to look back right. further than February 2022 for how we got here. That's right. But Mearsheimer will point back and say, no, this, you know, we've been warning about this for decades. Go, I mean, like, I, I always go back to this. Uh, in 1998, George Kennan, who was a leading Cold War strategist, he was a, he was a, a, one of the key advocates of, of Soviet containment strategy, did an interview with the New York Times. And and in this interview, he said that he was shocked and appalled by how he said, we we were turning our backs on the people that launched the greatest bloodless revolution in, in recent history to help topple the Soviet regime. He was talking about Russians. He was saying our fight was with the Soviet communist regime, not with Russians. And that by turning our backs on them, we were turning our backs on 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 what could have been easily a, a potential ally, and he said that this is going to start a crisis. And the NATO expanders, the people that are driving us in this in this direction, will say, "See, we told you so. This was always going to happen." And Kenan explicitly he like he pre buts he pre the entire establishment right now in 1998 by saying they're going to tell you, "I told you so." And he said, and they were there, but they're wrong. They made this happen. Right. And, and again, George Kennan, uh, and, but fast forward, 2006, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, you can't find a harder enemy of totalitarianism than Alexander Solzhenitsyn, right? 2006, he says the same thing, that, that the West is creating a crisis with Russia by refusing to treat it as, as like an equal, and instead insisting on treating it as, as a villain. 2006, Henry Kissinger, 2007 and 2014, said that it would be a mistake for Ukraine to join NATO uh, because it would, it, would, it would spark a crisis with, with Russia. In right. 2014, Kissinger explicitly said Ukraine should not join NATO. After this regime change thing in Ukraine happens that starts a civil war between pro-Russian separatists in eastern Ukraine and, and the forces of, of Kiev in western Ukraine, uh, Kissinger out the gate says, okay, NATO should be off the table. That is, that, that is only going to make things worse. So this is not a fringe position. It's also not a new one. People have literally been saying, if you go down this road, we will get another conflict with Russia. Sure. Here we are.
1: Sure. Okay, I've asked plenty of questions, and I have uh, some folks who are in line to ask you uh, a question. And again, for you guys just tuning in. Uh, I'm doing something a little new today for you podcasters. Thank you for uh, being here with me today. I'm incorporating spaces into my show, my live show, as well as streaming. And I think we're about to be successful with it. So if you guys are in my spaces on Twitter, do me a favor. If you have a question for Pedro, please keep it to a question, not comments or otherwise, you know, grievances with the current administration. Nothing that Pedro can do anything about, right? But he is here for a very limited amount of time, and I'd like to... To make the most use of his time. So, if you have questions specific to Russia-Ukraine, uh, you are welcome to request a microphone, and I will bring you up. and Let's go with uh Coleman. And do me a favor, please take yourselves off of your speakers, uh, of your uh, microphone uh, your um, speaker phones, uh, before you come up and talk directly into your phone. I appreciate it, Coleman. Go for it, sir. Yeah. Good
3: morning, Pedro. Good morning. Um, yeah, I was just reading today. Uh, you know about the uh, uh, Iranians are apparently supplying uh, Putin with more weapons. Not heard anything on that.
2: No, I haven't heard anything about it. But I mean, we can only expect things to. I mean, this this is again, this is my position. Is look, um, this is an we we misunderstand. I think how Russians are looking at the war. For them, this is not you know like a kind of like oh well. I guess we can lose ukraine for them ukraine is an existential thing it i mean this is like the monroe doctrine of russia except this it would be like the united states feeling a kind of like mythical connection to mexico or something like that or canada (laughs) right at the same time that another country is trying to turn uh uh, canada or something against the united states except like i said in this case there's a kind of historical connection between Canadians and Americans that is not just based on like economic transactions, like Russia feels a really profound connection, you know, right or wrong to Ukraine. So for them, it's an existential thing. So for the United States to continue kind of upping what it's doing there, in terms of providing Ukraine with increasingly uh, lethal weapons, of course, Russia is going to do the same thing. I mean, this is this is why people like me have been saying like, look, we, we need to understand that Russia is not going to back off. And if we continue right. pushing them, they're going to push back because it seems to me like they're willing to actually go further than we might be or then we realize uh, they're willing to go further than we realize that we're not. That's right. And by that, I mean nuclear weapons. Yep. Like Russia has more tactical nukes than than the United States in Europe. And it seems pretty clear to me that they know that they can't compete with the United States or NATO in conventional war. And so the, the automatic fallback for them would be like nukes but we don't think about these things Well, we just think, well, we can just keep sending Ukraine more and more destructive weapons. Right. And Russia is just going to take it. And because they're afraid of us. Right. Uh, That
3: doesn't seem obvious to me.
1: No. Yeah. I I don't think that's possible at all. Uh, Okay. Let's go over to prodigal. Welcome.
3: Hi. uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, My question is my concern that I'm seeing from the war is the emergence of a non-aligned movement and the rhetoric out of both the U S and the EU now especially in regards to the G7 is getting more and more hawkish. So uh, do you have any concerns about, I mean, we're seeing the splitting of the world between East and West, but is this non-aligned movement going to uh, diminish U.S. power and influence? And is there any way to combat this? I, I don't know. That's a really good
2: question because, yeah, I mean, early on people were saying that you're seeing the emergence of like new blocks. And, and the most obvious one is what seems to be a, the China, Russia, India block. Um I mean, I'm I'm not going to go as far as saying the, the the so-called unipolar moment is clearly over, and it we're going to be looking at a multipolar world. That does seem to be the direction we're going in, where basically the West, which is being in in many ways led by by the U.S. government uh, in in this reaction, seems to be maybe going. Uh, it's it's kind of like overplaying its hand. It feels like that, doesn't it? Uh, when a, a lot of these uh, policies, like the sanctions, are backfiring and actually making like populations in the West angry at their own governments. And you, I think you're seeing this in France, even like the 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 increase in support for Le Pen uh, over Macron. And he, I think Macron is aware of this because even he has said like, okay, let's back off on the use of the word genocide against Russia because that makes it hard to de-escalate. Uh, and in the right. United States, like this seems like suicide. Right. For, for For Democrats and for the Biden administration, precisely because their policies are on the one hand like making the world less stable and on the other hand, directly affecting the livelihoods of Americans. So, yeah, I think the I think the possibility of this, like these new blocks coming into view is real. I don't I don't know. I think the cat's kind of out of the bag, though. I don't know if there's any going back. I think that whatever is happening, it's it's kind of uh, the the die is cast, uh, so to speak. OK.
0: Uh,
1: Sherry Renaud welcome.
0: Thank you thanks for um, taking uh, my question. I believe that it has been very easy for the uh, for mainstream media etc to manipulate American uh, Americans um, regarding what information they are feeding to us because being honest here, I did not know that much about Ukraine prior to this conflict. So, as we know, it can be very easy to brown people's emotions um, and lack of information. Sure. So, I have worked very hard to inform myself in the most responsible way possible. What would you suggest um, as to uh, a way or ways that we can help make? the folks around us uh, more aware of what's going on. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sherry.
2: Yeah, it's it's a really good question. Honestly, I think the easiest thing is just not being afraid to to say what you think, because I mean, that seems actually to be a huge problem right now. Like the number of people that I know agree with me on this non-interventionist position, you know, on the basis that we're not taking Russia's side. We just want to make a bad, prevent a bad war from becoming worse and That's obviously right. preventing direct American involvement uh, and preventing, uh, preventing a greater loss of life. There are tons of people that agree with that. Uh, but they're just afraid to say it because, you know, immediately how much is Putin paying you or like, <laughs> I'm sorry, are you saying that genocide is okay? Right. It's like, right. It, it's, a lot of people are in fact afraid of, of speaking their minds about these things. And I think the more people it's, it's like BLM and COVID Yes, more people who are willing to say, you know, BLM actually seems to be a horrible destructive movement that is hurting more than it's helping or, you know, hold on the the COVID stuff seems actually out of control, like double masking kids, forced vaccines, you know, vaccine passports. This is insane. Remember people were terrified or I should say, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think COVID was in some ways worse than BLM because conservatives were pretty pretty quick about, you know, responding to BLM. But right. COVID seemed to take a little bit more time. Uh, this thing with the, the Russia-Ukrainian War seems to be the worst of, of the three in the sense that people are terrified of speaking out. Right. And I mean, if we do get involved and this becomes an actual war, between you know, an official war between the U.S. and Russia then you have wartime powers where you actually, you know, have a real risk of dissent in the country getting, you know, getting crushed basically. So I think that's why we need to, you know, speak out now. And my, I should be clear, my interest before this is, is domestic issues. I I focus on writing about mainly like crime, immigration, and social issues in the United States. Mm -hmm. I only started writing about Ukraine and, and geopolitical stuff because I felt like I needed to because it, I didn't I felt like there wasn't enough people doing it and doing the job that I thought needed to be done. Right. But I would much rather prefer on you know the immigrate reporting on the immigration crisis in the southern border reporting about the the LGBT stuff that's going sure. on in schools. Like, so I mean, yeah, I think the more people that are willing to talk about it, the less I have to talk about it and and the safer uh, we all are.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for that, and thank you for your hard work. I mean, I, I especially with with regard to our kids, you know, that conversation is so important to have, and the investigative work you've done on um, on highlighting some of these cases where kids have actually been, or a child in particular, was removed from her parents' custody temporarily. Um, you know, what a mess. I mean, we and it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it the the America First movement, I think has has been has has become. Well, and by virtue of people like Ruben and others, uh, who have demonized it to the point where, you know, now I think Americans are like, well, wait a minute. Am I supposed to fly a Ukrainian flag? A Ukrainian flag? And, and well, if I fly an American flag, then that means that I could be, end up on a watch list. But if I'm not flying the Ukraine flag, then I'm not really a humanitarian. And, and I'm thinking, wow, how did we get here? I mean, yeah. but I think you're right through a series of very unfortunate but well-planned events is how we got here to where the American people are are fractured and their psyches are fissured to the point where they don't know what's even legal to say anymore right because we're threatened at every turn with actually speaking the truth and it's not enough to just speak the truth it's you got to live it you know and you do have to have the courage to educate yourself on these things go here's one thing you guys can do follow pedro <laughs> so pedro where can people find your work
2: yeah so i'm, I'm on social media Pretty much everywhere under the handle Emeriticus E M E R I T I C U uh, S. My my newsletter is at contra.substack.com. Contra like Iran Contra. And my, uh, I, my my the magazine where I where I work is Chroniclesmagazine.org. Chronicles is I mean it was really cool for me to get this job and work for them because it they had really influenced my thought like reading the archives going back to the eighties and nineties. Was actually very. Uh, it was. It was an, an important phase for my development in the way that I think about issues. And Chronicles was, the like the original, old right, anti-interventionist, anti-globalist, immigration restrictionist uh, publication. And it was kind of like the the ideological flagship of Pat Buchanan of the of the Buchanan movement. And they got a lot of things right back then. Um, and and the, I think the Trump moment was kind of like a, an affirmation of those things and but now i'm you know trying to kind of remind people like look th- uh, there is nothing new under the sun we've been here before right we just need to look at the past and learn from it and working for chronicles is is kind of a way to do that so
1: Good job. I love it. Thank you. Uh, I know you have another interview. You are one of America's most wanted journalists uh, for your opinions and uh, advice and knowledge. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here with my audience today. You're welcome back anytime, as you know. And uh, keep up the good work. We appreciate you.
2: Thank you so much, Monica. God bless you.
1: Have a good one. Okay, guys. So uh, we are still going to be on... um, We're still going to be... We're still live, and we're still going to be. I'll still be happy to take your questions and spaces. Uh, but this is my live broadcast, and it is my recorded podcast. For those of you who came in uh, late, this is something new that I'm going to incorporate uh, some days with my guests because my platform is your platform. I want to hear from you, right? And it's important to, and I want your voices to be heard internationally. And if you're on my podcast, that's where you're going to be. So I, it's important to me for you all to hear one another's voices. I say that a lot because there's a lot that happens in an emotional response with people and connectivity whenever they hear the voice of another human that social media has literally molested us of. And that was very intentional. So it's very intentional to get us on our little fingers and our keyboards. And so one reason why I really appreciate the the avenue of spaces um, is that, and I'm really hoping, and we can switch gears in a minute because I want to talk about Twitter and Elon's acquisition and which I'll need to be praying for and fasting for. Uh, But this is all very exciting to me, and I'm not trying to make him out to be some, you know, uh, white Jesus or, uh, you know, media Jesus or God sends, and some people are, but I'm not hanging my hopes on anyone. Uh, But I am hopeful. I'm hopeful that God could actually use uh, Elon to uh, bring us back to our constitutional rights for starters. I mean, there's a start. So anyway, if you're in the spaces, you are going to be a part of my podcast. So if you don't want to be heard internationally, then you do not need to ask for a microphone. But before we go to that, so you all know that I am very, very proud of my new relationship with MyPillow.com. That's right. (laughs) And I hear from my friends all the time, they're like, good grief, is every conservative on the air part of MyPillow.com? And I'm like, I don't know, and I don't care. All I care about is my code. I care about my ability to bless you and your family with major discounts up to 66% off of your little house slippers that y'all love to wear to Walmart and your house robes and your pillows and your large bath sheets, which I love and your sheets. Oh, and your dog beds. Don't forget about that. Mike Lindell sells all kinds of things on that platform that I had no idea about. But if you use my code, you get up to sixty six percent off of your next purchase. And so I want you to do that. It is springtime. Bless your wives and your mamas for Mother's Day coming up. You know, I got to tell you something that all women love are is anything that that says self care. Right, we do. I don't care how rotten you are. Uh, Anything that says self-care in the way of pampering oneself, right? So what more could a mama really appreciate uh, that says self-care if you can't afford a spa day or you don't know how to do all that? Here's what you do know how to do. You know how to type in www.mypillow.com and use the code MONICA for up to 66% off. The other thing you guys know how to do is protect your assets. Right? That's right. I'm also partnered with Gold Co. And I'm very excited about this because you all know I've been hashtagging silver for the better half of a year prior to my relationship with Gold Co. So check them out. You don't have to take my word for it. Go over there and check them out for yourself. Someone will give you a call. You can find out all about it. They're very transparent. Uh, You know, my good buddy Wayne Dupree is a part of it. I know Sean Hannity. And I know how y'all feel about Sean Hannity some of you but uh you know my point is legitimate organization I get calls of concern quite a bit and you know what what you should be concerned about is where your hard earned money is sitting right now in the way of a federal reserve in the way of the dollar currency uh look what's happening right now with inflation look how crazy things are and, uh, and unstable things are the entire uh uh Commerce, I mean, industry, commerce, department, the uh, every supply chain you can think of. We haven't even seen the beginning of that. So there may come a point in this country where you cannot access your fiat. So then, what are you going to do? And as a single mother many moons ago, like twenty years ago, uh, when we were in the mid—not twenty—in the midst of another crisis in this country. I bought some gold pieces because I thought to myself, you know what? If the poop hits the fan, I better be able to barter with something other than my cute butt because that's off the table. So, but if I have some gold pieces, then I can get some, you know, bread and milk and whatever I need for my kid. And so I'm not saying that you're going to have to run to your nearest bunker, but what I am saying is that I would not trust the federal government with my hard-earned money and that's just me so you can go to monicamatthews.com backslash gold co monicamatthews.com backslash gold co another thing that has been extremely prevalent uh in the past year as you all know is our health right if I've heard from one person, I've heard from 200. I tune into a show on Twitter Spaces every Saturday that I believe is 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, hosted by a gentleman by the name of M.D. Hank. <laughs> I think that's his handle, uh, but I tend to promote his spaces as well. And you will hear from physicians who are just at their wits end over COVID. They also bring their newest findings. They also talk about patient issues, things that they're seeing in their respective practices, as well as this bureaucratic nightmare that we're contending with in this socialized medical system that most Americans refuse to believe that we are contending with now and have been for years. Nevertheless, our health has been a number one topic of concern. And many people uh, have struggled with cancer, diabetes, autism, heart disease, kidney disease, and many other ailments associated with aging, right? So who doesn't want to turn back the hands of time? Uh, I had someone on the other day who talked about fasting. The benefits of fasting and turning back the hands of time uh, with regard to aging and fasting. And the benefits, I believe, are mainly spiritual, but there are also uh, large physical, physiological implications regarding fasting. So, but I also have another uh, person for you to tie into. It's my dear friend and partner named Carol. You can reach her at 205-739-3848. Uh, we have a product that you may or may not be interested in. I am not a physician. Do not take my word for it, but do contact Carol. You guys have heard me talk about this on my show, uh, a couple of months back, back actually. Um, and this particular product is something that I personally have had experience with. I believe in it wholeheartedly. My faith of course is in the creator, not the created as I always preach, Uh, But whenever it comes to something that you can actually measure the results of your health benefits, this would be one of them. Carol, 205-739-3848. Okay, now moving back to my spaces, I'm going to switch topics now. If you guys don't mind switching gears with me, we are going to move to I Want Your Opinions on Twitter and the possibility of a of a complete Elon Musk uh, you know acquisition what would that look like do you believe this is all just brouhaha? that this is all just a giant publicity stunt where are you on the spectrum and i have a victim in my speaker space and that would be Jan and Jan, I'm assuming you may actually want you probably had a question for Pedro, but as I said, he's got a very busy schedule. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it. Otherwise, I would like to get your opinion on what you think this entire acquisition is about with regard to Elon.
0: Actually, I did have a question for Pedro, but I'm hoping that you can answer it for
1: me. I'll try.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, um, there's actually a Democrat running for Senate going around in spaces and they, you know, kind of hijacking spaces, but He's basically saying that he wants to go. He wants us to go to war with Russia sooner than later, because if we go, if we don't go in soon, like sooner, then the war in Ukraine will spill over. Given that Russia wants to take control of those nuclear labs and biolabs, whereas if we wait, then the possibility—oh, if we go in now, then that possibility of containing the war—you know, th- there's a bigger possibility of containing the war. Is
1: there any credence to that? Well, I I don't believe so. And thank you for that question. I don't believe so. And if you heard what Pedro said, you know, A, we would be committing, God, global suicide. I mean, we certainly would as a nation. I mean, you're talking about the tactical measures with which and the precision with, with which the Russians have the ability to uh, attack us via nuclear vehicles is is something that is completely understated and certainly by mainstream media and will continue to do so. Um I guess first I would say, you know, I, I would I would attack this from a number of angles. First, there's there's that one, right? Which that's it is preposterous to think that we, we can just First of all, he's a Democrat, so I could just stop right there and stop the entire show and switch subjects. But, but he's really parroting kind of the talking points of the left. And anyone, I would say to you, you, you should consider anyone running for office someone who has been uh, potentially deployed, whether that's on the right or the left. And so is there any credence to what he's saying? Just go in and get it done and get it over with. Well, he sounds like actually people on the right as well, right? We could go with uh, Josh Hawley. We could go with Tom Cotton, who thought, you know, more sanctions. Let's just let no fly, no flight, no flyover zones. Right. Things that would absolutely hit the World War Three button as far as Putin is concerned. And I'll be real honest with you guys. I'm kind of surprised he hasn't looked at, especially after the new eight hundred million dollars that we are our wherever this money is being pulled from. Allegedly, in theory, taxpayer dollars. Right. Eight hundred million dollars has now it's on the table headed for Ukraine. So at what point does Putin go, all right, I've had enough of this crap. And he and China just decide, you know, and don't even throw India into the mix. Uh, You know, we think that we are too big to be annihilated. That's part of our problem. Our American pride is a big problem. How about American gratitude? How about American blessings? How about the fact that we, we have uh, you know, been a part of liberating uh, nations and, uh, and, and championing the, the cause of liberty uh, throughout the world. I mean, that, that is those are great things. Those are, those are things that should, are cause for humility, for gratitude that we would have even been put in that position to give a damn about liberty. Much less, you know, curate it for ourselves and around the around the globe, And so, but part of our problem is that on the right and the left, this is not just a partisan issue. And Pedro has actually addressed this in other spaces, in other podcast media spaces, as well as here today. It's not just a left issue. It is asinine for anyone to assert that we have not only some type of moral superiority over this, you know, over Putin and his ilk. Are you kidding me? Have you seen our Congress and our Senate? Our borders are wide open. We have governors right now sending illegal people, unlawful people, sorry, that could get me flagged, unlawful entrance. There you go. Unlawful entrance to D.C. on a bus, whether it's 25 people or two people, whatever, you know, and whether it was a political stunt or not, the fact that our borders are wide open. We've got people roaming freely. Crime rates are through the roof. We have one false flag after another. If we haven't awakened to the fact that we're probably the weakest I think this nation has ever been right now, then we never will. So for us to think that we have any moral high ground or superiority, I can't say that militarily we don't still hold the high ground. I just think that we have a bastion of idiots running the military industrial complex. That's just my humble opinion. So no, there's no credence to, let's just go in and get it over, right? No. And anyone on the right or the left who would even suggest that, I would want to look at their bank accounts. I would want to know who's deployed them as an asset. That is the best take I have. I don't have some historical, you know, Pedro for sure has done his homework on the history of all of this. And it's wonderful. What I did find really interesting was going back to Belgrade and the CIA, you know, uh, hilarious, as if the CIA somehow doesn't know the coordinates of the Chinese embassy. I mean, they know where my toilet paper roll is right now in my bathroom but somehow you didn't get the coordinates right and you, oops, accidentally bombed the Chinese embassy. That's interesting to me. And honestly, until you know, I, I listened to some of Pedro's work earlier, I hadn't really focused on the, uh, <laughs> the reparations program that the Chinese could actually be deploying right now. Although we did pay, I'm not sure that we ever did pay them, but we did agree to pay them reparations, if you will, for that little whoopsie. We did agree to do that. And then shortly after that whoopsie, they were invited into the WTO. Nothing is whoopsie. I think that's something we have to come to grips with as Americans. And I don't, I don't think we're comfortable doing that because we've never lived in, you know what I think it is, you guys? I think for the majority, and I'm going to include myself in this, for the majority of us. We have historically looked at people who are suspicious and not, and like Pedro just confessed, he hates our government right now for, for very obvious reasons, okay? And he is not alone in that way of thinking and feeling and believing. And even announcing that publicly is something that will absolutely land you on these lists that we keep talking about by virtue of DHS's own admission. This isn't us in media, uh, you know, bloviating or thinking that we're so important that we would end up. No, this is exactly what they've said. They're doing is compiling a list of pe of dissidents. The term dissident is so, um, USSR to most Americans that now it has become hyperbolic rhetoric, right? And so, but the truth is we've judged people who did in, in, instinctively did not trust the government, who did build out their bunkers, who knew that this day could come, right? We have judged them harshly. So now whenever it comes time for us to go, well, damn, maybe those guys weren't so crazy after all. Right. Because look at our government. Um, now, most people are kind of stuck somewhere between thinking, well, if I'm really a uh, a patriot, then I'm going to fly someone else's flag just to show that I stand in solidarity with us. And so it, it's hard to believe that all of this has been one calculated step after another because we don't want to believe it. That's my humble opinion. We don't want to believe it. We have no idea. You know how many Americans have never even traveled outside of our own borders? And we, have, we think we know what suffering is. We think we know what other nations go through on a day-to-day basis just to go get water or basic health care. We think we know what it is to be taken over, to, to actually have lived freedom, right and lived in the hope that another nation would continue to honor their word and protect you and 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 set up a relatively you know democratic society only for the very terrorists that that protector allegedly came in to uh mitigate are now in charge again can you imagine Living through that, we may actually get to in our generation. I don't know. Imagine being a woman in Afghanistan. I mean, imagine being someone who was relatively liberated. Certainly not to the extent I believe that we are, but are we? I don't know. I don't think so. I think our little Americana bubble has been popped. Our cherry has been popped for lack of a more ladylike term. And we, for a, and here you go for a complete lack of lady term. Uh, we have been playing just the tip with people on a geopolitical landscape for so many years that we don't realize that we've actually, uh, been. Yeah. Yeah. And we still arrogantly enough think that we champion, um, you know, the best of everything. And we have some very real competition in the world. And sadly enough, some of our best have aligned with their best, which really equals our worst, our worst reality. And they are hell-bent on a new world order. So glad that Pedro reminded us that that came from Joe Biden's mouth. And I don't think that was one of those applesauce, whoopsie, I missed my nap slips. Um, You know, it's a mess anyway. Okay, Uh, if there's anyone else, Brick Suit, I see you're in the house. Welcome, sir. Uh, Yeah, so you guys, this broadcast, I guess you guys don't have an opinion on Elon which is what I really wanted <laughs> during this segment. Um, but I, you know, I think it'll be interesting. I'm not really sure what his... uh oh. I figured this gentleman might. I'm not really sure what his motive is or what's going to be the outcome, but you know, it sure is fun, kind of, you know, reminiscing about the good old days when we could actually speak freely uh, without the risk of being uh, annihilated. Notice I didn't say cancel because the devil doesn't come to cancel you; he comes to steal from you, to kill you, and to utterly destroy you. Which is the kingdom the left and some of the right serves? Prodigal, welcome back. What you got?
3: Yeah, I mean, initially, uh, with Elon uh, assuming uh, shares of 9% earlier in the month, I thought it was just another one of his ploys that we saw with Dogecoin and Bitcoin where he was shilling. But, you know, it's an interesting battle, right? He's When he started buying in, it was below $40 a share. And now his tender offer to buy the company is around 52 And he's basically said point blank, uh, if you refuse it, I have no confidence in the company and I'm going to sell which is a dilemma for the board uh, because their job is to maximize uh, value for the shareholders. The issue we see here is the issue that plagues all of America is that you know, the majority shareholders of Twitter are BlackRock, Fidelity, State Street. <laughs> and recently, the Saudi billionaire uh, al Talid came out and he said he's not interested in selling. So it's clear that their ownership interest in Twitter is not of a capitalist financial perspective right they want to control free speech that's what they've done and continue to do and uh you know if it doesn't go through i would like to see elon follow through and sell the shares and see twitter fall and hopefully see some accountability with the board and force them one way or another to, to to try to uh you know moderate all this censorship they're doing of american free speech
1: right amen to that thank you for that i appreciate you uh chris welcome There you are, (laughs) a little bit of lag there. Welcome, what do you think about Elon's proposal? For some reason, we cannot hear Chris, and Chris just went away. Okay, so I am out of time. I have enjoyed almost two hours with you guys today. And uh, this is probably how you're going to catch me on my spaces from now on. So I have some awesome guests coming up. I've got Andrew Giuliani with me next week. He is running for governor of New York. And uh, he'll be on with me, I believe, next Tuesday, and uh, we will more than likely run it through this space as well. So tell all your friends. Uh, you know, I mean, the lineup is uh, is very cool coming up here in the near future. So for you, for those of you who have been on podcasts with me. Thank you for joining us today, and as always, and thank you for sharing my work. If you're not on Twitter and you're not familiar with what I'm referring to, I would encourage you, with regard to spaces, I would encourage you to go to Twitter. And, uh, sign up for some little rogue account and you can tune in. You can, uh, chime in as well. You can also simply tune in on your desktop, but you will not be able to participate in the way of allowing your voice to be heard. What's funny to me about this broadcast today is that, uh, typically in spaces, I have so many people, um, fumbling for a microphone that I can't even keep up with all of them. And I have a co-host with me who handles uh, all of that. And uh, because people are just super excited about chiming in. But the minute that I said that it was broadcast, uh, you know, people kind of held back a little bit, except for some of my more usual suspects who are awesome and smart and always have something awesome to bring to the table. Uh, But you guys, don't be afraid. Again, this is a place where I want your voice to be heard. We're always complaining about, you know, they're taking our voice, they're taking our voice and what you say it for us. And I'm like, no, you say it for you. This is your country too, right? It's not just mine. And sure, I have a microphone, but I'm a host. I enjoy hosting, and that means I have guests, and my guests have a place at the table. So be mindful about your politicians these days. I'll leave you with this parting word of advice. Be mindful that uh, you have a lot of people in the political landscape who have been deployed, and I use that term very intentionally. They have been deployed by political forces as well as geopolitical forces, and your fourth branch of government is extraordinarily busy with campaigning candidates who are coming to, you know, sell you your panties right off of you. So just be aware. Use your discernment do your research, check with other people, ask people you trust, watch, right? And for those of you who have not signed up for my Bible study yet, speaking of discernment, we're carrying on with that conversation. You're welcome to do so. And my Bible studies are not boring, as you can imagine, because I'm not boring and I'm not religious. Um, So we're in the Bible we're in the Word, and we're figuring out what discernment is and all that good stuff, and God has been moving, oh my gosh, like in major, major, major ways in people's lives that I have nothing to do with, which is amazing because I just couldn't even lift those heavy boulders that some of you guys are carrying around with you. Uh, but God can, and He has, and He does, and so if you want to sign up, you're welcome to email me at Monica at com, and uh, in your subject line, you can type in uh, Bible study And I will give you the information, get back with you, and we'll get rolling next Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. every Wednesday, Eastern Standard Time, 7.30 to 9. I have amazing guests who are on with me. I've had Emerald Robertson, uh, Chad Prather, Alex Taunton, uh, just to name a few. And we have more coming up. Why is that important? Not because I need superstars in order to run a gimmick for Jesus, but because it's important for you. I'm trying to build bridges of trust. Between people who bring you information, people who shape narrative, and faith. There needs to be trust restored in media. And that is something, and with people with platforms, right? And people who have microphones. And that is something I look forward to doing more of uh, with my media platform as well. So, uh, And it's important to see how God has moved in other people's lives. And we don't talk about that a lot. You're not going to hear Emerald talk about that on her new show on Lindell TV, by the way. If you've missed it, you should go check that out. Uh, She's still Emerald. She's still awesome. She's still kicking ass and taking names and telling the truth no matter what the cost. So is my good colleague uh, and sister, Lara Logan, who you now know is no longer on Fox. And you know why? Because she's been very vocal about getting pushed out. Look forward to having her in the coming days as well. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, and Chad is Chad. Chad's got a microphone. Chad's going to say the, say the, say the truth on Blaze. You know, uh, every day he's on, he's a truth speaker and he's unadulterated and unafraid. And so that's great. But he has an enormous faith background that really blessed the socks off, uh, the people who are participating in this Bible study with me, Alex Taunton, you can find him on Twitter as well. He is a world renowned, uh, you know, debater, scholar, apologist, uh, you know, he's just a brilliant dude. So at any rate, I love you guys. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you to you guys on spaces and for those of you who tuned in during the live stream. We are working this thing out, man. And before you know it, we're going to be like all over the place in unison at one time, clear talk media. That's me. Follow me everywhere. Subscribe to everything that you can and go buy a pillow and use my code at Monica (laughs) and go to my website at monicamatthews.com backslash gold co get your money protected. Until tomorrow, be good to your neighbor, beginning in your own mirror. And if you're an American, remember to act like one.